0: Judges chapter 8, we're going to read verse 1. It says this. Actually, let's pray. Uh, before we even get started, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time, Lord, that you've allowed us to come together. That we have people right now from all around the world, from every corner of the globe, who've come together here to read your word. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would visit us in this moment, Lord, as we meet in all our different Um, areas, and contexts, and cultures, and ethnicities, and Father, as we meet in all (laughs) our different time zones, and and we have people meeting from different locations, and yet, Lord, you are meeting us all at the same time. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. Lord, reveal the truth of who you are in your word today, and we ask that in your name we pray, amen, and, and amen. Let's get right to it. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. IG, I think it's cutting off. So hopefully I'll keep that going. <sighs> now, the men of Ephraim said to him, Judges chapter eight, verse one. Now, the men of Ephraim said to him, why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites? And they reprimanded him sharply. So he said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is it not the gleaning of the grapes and Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezar? God has delivered into your hands the princess of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. When Gideon came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted but still in pursuit. And he said to the men of Succoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. And the leader of Sukkoth said, are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hand that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, for this cause, when the Lord has delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, that I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. Then he went up from there to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Sukkoth had answered. As, as the men of, oh, sorry. As Sukkot had answered, so he also spoke to the men of Penuel, saying, When I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were at Karkor, and their armies with them, about 15,000, all who left, all who were left of all the army of the people of the east. For 120,000 men who drew the sword had fallen. And Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell in tents on the east of Noba. And Jogbal, and he attacked the army while the camp felt secure. then Zeban Zelmuna fled, he pursued them, and he took two, he took the two kings of Midian, Zeban and and routed the whole army. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle from the ascent of Harris, and he caught the young man of the men of Succoth and interrogated him, and he wrote down for him the leaders of Succoth and his elders, seventy-seven men, and he came to the men of succoth and said. Here are Zeba and Zalmunna, about whom you ridiculed me, saying, Are the hands of Zeban and Zalmunna now in your hand, that we should give bread to your weary men? And he took the elders of the city and the thorns of the wilderness and briars with them, and he taught the men of Succoth. He tore down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. And he and and, Zal- and he said to Zeb and Zalmunna, What kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? And they answered, As you are, so were they. Each one resembled the son of a king. Hmm. And he said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother, as the Lord lives. If you let them live, I would not kill you. And he said to Jether, his firstborn, Rise, kill them. And the youth would not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a youth. So Zebba and Zalmunna said, Rise yourself and kill us, for as a man is, so is his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Zeba and Zilmuna, and took the crescent ornaments that were on their camels' necks. Hmm. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Mm. Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you, that each of you would give me the earrings of his plunder. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So they answered, we will gladly give them. And they spread out the garment of each man And each man threw into it the earrings from his plunder. Now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. Besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes, which were on the kings of Midian. And besides the chains that were around the camels necks, And Midian made it into an ephod and set it up in the city of Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there. And it became a snare to Gideon. And to his house. Thus Midian was subdued. Before the children of Israel. So they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was quiet. For forty years. In the days of Gideon. Then Jerubal. The son of Joash. Came and dwelt in his own house. Gideon had seventy sons. Who were his own offspring. For he had many wives. And his concubine. Who was in Shechem. Also bore him a son whose name was Abimelech. Now Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a, at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash's father and Ophrah of the Abyssalites. So it was, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel again played the harlot with ba- Baals and made Baal-bereth their god. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their god, who had delivered them from the hands of their enemies on their on every side nor did they show kindness to the house of jerubal gideon in according in accordance with the good he had done for israel hmm well let's stop judges chapter 9 then abimelech the son of jerubal went to shechem to his mother's brothers and spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his mother, sorry, of his mother's father, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. Which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbaal reign over you, or that one reign over you? Remember that I am your flesh and bone. And his mother's brothers spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of the men of Shechem. And their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. So they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal-berith, with Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jerubal, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubal, was left because he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the Terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. Now they told Jotham. He went and stood on the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted his voice and cried out and said to them, Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Rain over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I cease giving my oil with which they honor God and men and go to sway over trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, should I cease my sweetness of my good fruit and go to sway over trees? And the tree said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, should I cease my new wine? which cheers both God and man, and go to sway over trees? And all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. And if not, let fire come upon the bramble, and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, And if you have dealt dealt well with Jerubal and his house and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you, risked his life and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. But you have risen up against my father's house this day and killed these 70 sons on one stone and made Abimelech the son of his female servant, the king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother. And you have acted in truth and sincerity with Jerubal and with his house this day. Then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo and let fire come from the men of Shechem and, and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Joseph ran away and fled and went to Beer, and <clears throat> dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. After Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that crime that the crime done to the 70 sons of Jerubal might be settled and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother who killed them and on the men of Shechem who aided him in the killings of his brothers. And the men of Shechem set men in ambush against them on the tops of mountains. And they robbed all who passed them along that way and told Abimelech. Now, this is so real. And it, told, it was, and it was told Abimelech. Now, Gal, the son of Ebed, came with his brothers and went over to Shechem. And the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. So they went out into the fields and gathered the grapes from the vineyards And trod them and made them merry And they went into the house of their god And ate and drank and cursed Abimelech And Gal the son of Ebed said Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem That we should serve him Is he not the son of Jerubal And is not Zebul his officer Serve the men of Hamor The father of Shechem But why should we serve him If only this people were under my authority Then I would remove abimelech so he said to abimelech increase your army and come out and Zebul, the ruler of the city heard the words of gaul the son of ebed his anger was aroused and he sent messengers to abimelech secretly saying take note gaul the son of ebed and his brothers have come to shechem and they and here they are fortifying the city against you now therefore get up by night you and the people who are with you and lie and wait in the field and it shall be, as soon as the sun is up in the morning, that you shall rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may then do to them as you find opportunity. So Abimelech and all the people who were with him rose by night, lay in wait against Shechem in four companies. When Gaal the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance of the city gate, Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from lying in wait. And when Gaul saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming from the tops of the mountains. But Zebul said to him, You see the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. So Gaal spoke again and said, See, people are coming down from the center of the land, another company coming from the diviner's terebinth tree. Then Zebul said to him, Where indeed is your mouth now? With which you said, Who is Abimelech? Oops, sorry. Um, and Abimelech chased him, and he fled from him, and many fell wounded to the very entrance of the gate. Then Abimelech dwelt, and Eremah Zebul drove out Gal and his brothers so that they would not dwell in Shechem. And it came about the next day that the people went out into the field, and they told Abimelech, and he told his people, and divided them into three companies, and lay in wait. Hmm. Let me read that again. Verse 42, and it came about on the next day that the people went out into the field and they told Abimelech. So his people divided them into three companies and they lay in wait in the field. And he looked and there were the people coming out of the city and rose against them and attacked them. Then Abimelech and and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city. And the other two companies rushed upon all who were in the fields and killed them. So Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He took the city and killed the people who were in it, and he demolished the city and sowed it with salt. Now, when all the men of the tower Shechem had heard that, he entered the stronghold of the temple of the god Bereth. And he told Abimelech that all the men of the tower in Shechem were gathered together, and Abimelech went up to Mount Azalmon. He and all the people who were with him, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bow from the trees." And took it and laid it on his shoulder. Then he said to the people who were with him, "What have you seen me do? Make haste and do as I have done." So each of the people likewise cut down his own bow, and followed Abimelech. Put them against the stronghold and set the stronghold on fire above them, so that all the people of the tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. Then Abimelech went to Thebes. And he encamped against Thebes and took it. And there was a strong tower in the city. All the men and women, all the people of the city fled there and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower, fought against it, and he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. And then he called quickly to the young man his armor-bearer and said to him draw your sword and kill me lest men say to me a woman killed him so his young men thrust him through and he died <laughs> and the men of israel saw that abimelech was dead and they departed every man to his place thus god repaid the wickedness of abimelech which he had done to his father by killing his 70 brothers and all the evil and all the evil of the men of shechem god returned on their own heads and they came and then came the curse of jotham the son of Jerubal. i'll read this last chapter and we'll be good to go after bimelech there arose to save israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of dodo a man of issachar and he dwelt in shemir and in the mountains of ephraim he judged israel 23 years and he died and was buried in shamir after him arose jair a gileadite and he judged israel 22 years now he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys they had 30 towns which were called havoth jair to this day which are in the land of gilead and jair died and was buried in camon and the children of israel again did evil in the sight of the lord served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the hands of the people of Ammon. From that year, they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years, all the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. Moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah also, against Benjamin, and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have both forsaken our God and served Baals. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, from the Amorites, and from the people of Ammon, and from the Philistines? Also the Sidonians, and the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand, yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress." And the children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Hmm. And the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped in Gilead. And the children of Israel assembled together and encamped in Mizpah. And the people of the leaders of Gilead said to one another, Who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. I'm going to stop right there um, and share a few thoughts with you all as we uh, continue to navigate through the book of Judges. I'm reminded of uh, I just keep saying it's cutting off due to poor connection. I'm sorry about that if it's doing that. Give me one second here. Let me see something. Uh, I'm being reminded of the uh, what we spoke about yesterday and the day before as we opened up Judges. I'm being reminded of What Judges really is intended to do in the narrative of humanity and God's people. By the way, shout out to my sons. Look at this real quick. See this right here. This is my father's day gift. They blessed me with an amazing coffee mug for father's day and they got me a Starbucks card as well. And so I've got some Starbucks coffee in here with the coffee mug. Shout out to them. Love them boys. Love their gift. Thank you so much. This might be my read and rant cup from here on out. Love them, love them boys. Anyway, side note. Um, but if there's anything that the book of Judges does, before I even start, I want to make sure everybody understands what we're doing here, because there may be some people who are here for the first time. This is the read and rant, right? My intention in this time that we spend together is to read the scripture. So we're reading through the entire Bible. Um, we're going to read through the entire Bible together, but we spend about 20, 30 minutes just reflecting on the reading of the day. We spend half a Netflix episode every day just reading through Scripture. That's what we're here to do. And then we spend some time in reflection. This isn't necessarily a Bible study, but more simply a reflection of Scripture. And what we're asking when we read the Scripture, because we're learning how to read from a meditational posture, is we're asking the Lord, What are you revealing concerning yourself? What are you revealing concerning people? And the third question is, what are you revealing concerning me? I believe with that posture, we're able to really get revelation from the scripture and allow the scriptures to exegete us and to discern because the scriptures tell us, right? Hebrews 4 tells us that the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two edged sword and that it divides the soul and the spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we let the scriptures discern our thoughts and intentions. And that's the whole purpose for our time together is to let the scriptures exegete us as we are exegeting um, the scriptures anyway. And so um, what we've journeyed through, right, is, is we've journeyed now from Genesis to now judges. And what we're seeing, thank you so much, Gigi. What we're seeing is the story of a people is not a, if you back up, what you're going to realize is that the Bible is actually a story. The Bible is not a holy book of laws, but that the Bible is a story. We, we miss that somehow along the way, we miss that. We miss the story of the scripture because the story itself is now revealing the heart of God, the character of God. Thank you so much, Don. The the heart of God, the character of God, the will of God and the plan of God for humanity. So when we when we back up in when we back up and we read this text like it's a Book of rules, we miss what the text is actually trying to tell us. We miss it. And so, as you've been journeying through the text with me, as you've been journeying through the scriptures, what you're seeing is is you're seeing a story about a people. And in that story, there were laws that God gave to these people. Are you understanding me? There there, there were stories that God revealed to these people. There's a law. Sorry, not stories, but there's a law that God has revealed to these people. And this law was intended primarily to shape these people, what, 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 what was known as the holy nation, the chosen people of God, to shape these people into becoming what he called a nation of priests. This started from Abraham in Genesis, to then Isaac, to then Jacob whose name was changed to israel who had 12 sons these 12 sons went to egypt they became a nation in egypt under the bondage of a nation a prophet was sent who pulled them out in exodus they get to mount sinai there god makes a covenant again with them god then gives them a law to show them how they fulfill the covenant The covenant is the contract to be a nation, a chosen people and a nation of priests. So he gives them the contract. The contract now they couldn't live through. So Leviticus was how they can still be able to have the presence of God, even though they continually make mistakes. That's what Leviticus is all about. It is the atonement priest and sacrifice. And so notice that God is, 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 there's a story happening through a people. Now they have the presence of God. Numbers is them now going on the journey to the promised land. Joshua, they actually subdue the land, but Joshua ends with still some Canaanites in the land. And now judges, these people are in the land, but rather than eradicating the Canaanites, the Canaanites mm-hmm. have become part of their culture. And the Canaanites now have become, while they are in population, a minority, they have become a majority. Deuteronomy was simply the reinstitution of the law. It was the second generation because remember, they were going through the wilderness and because they disobeyed God not because they disobeyed God, sorry, because they had, they did not have faith in the promised land and the promises given to them. God said that they were going to remain there till the next generation would come in. So Deuteronomy was just a reiteration of the law that they were given to now the new generation. That's why it's called Deuteronomy. It's called the law. Deuteronomy literally means the law again. Deuteronomy, the law again. And so they're giving the law again to the next generation. Notice the law was not for Christians. The law was for the children of Israel. And the and, and the purpose of the law was to establish the rule of God through them. That's why it's called a law. The law wasn't for heaven or hell. Okay? The law was the the means by which God would teach them how they ought to rule on earth. In establishing the presence of God on earth and the kingdom of God on earth. And so they were called to do that. And yet they continue to fail over and over again. They have this law, they go into Canaan and they were told to eradicate the land with the Canaanites because the Canaanites were ruled by another law. We talked about that. The Canaanites were ruled by the law of the ego, me, myself, and I. Thank you so much. I know who I am. I appreciate it the law of the ego. And so, and so because of the law of the ego came all the things that we see, child sacrifice, um, the, the, uh, commoditization of women, the, um, the, the prostrating of power, violence, everything that is wrong, decadence, everything that is sinful, everything that God is not for, they represented and so there are two laws now you've got the canaanites who are in this land that was initially their land and now the now israel is coming in to establish the government that government and that law can't be established until they eradicate the other law and yet they did not eradicate the canaanites rather what we see is is they continue to take on the culture and the law of the canaanites rather than the law of god and every time they did that they went through cycles and cycles and cycles And so God calls a judge to come in to now deliver them. As many times as they continue to disobey God, God's promise was still on them. And so they're delivered every time by a judge. And so we saw Othniel and Ehud, and then we saw Deborah. And then now now in our reading today, we're finishing up with Gideon. We ended yesterday on a high note with Gideon. And remember what I told you, if there's anything that judges exposes is it exposes the condition of humanity. Just who we are as a people, you know, um, I've heard people say this over and over again, people who are of the faith, people who are not of the faith. And there are people who are here right now. I got about 205 of you on TikTok right now. Yeah, I got about almost 40 of you on, on IG. Okay. And I've got my Facebook family. Izzy, you're the best, man. And listen, look, look at this gift you got me, buddy. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Thank you so much. You and Ellison are amazing and I love you very much. Thank you for the gift. Those are my sons. But, oh no, I'm not giving up on humans. Absolutely not. I can't. And the reason why is because we are actually the imagers of God. We are the extensions of God on earth. That's what it literally means to be the imagers of God. But the thing is, is, is that what we see is that when humans follow their own agenda, it leads to everything that is evil and wrong in this world. You know, what's funny is, is that for many people, when they see evil in the world, they're quick to blame God for it they're quick to say, well, why would God allow this? How could God allow Sharia law? Or how could God allow what's happening in the Middle East? Or look at, like, where's God? Why, why, how could God allow 9-11? And so we have, we, we, we have all these, you know, people who are jaded, they tend to um, place the blame of everything that is evil and wrong in the world on God. Yeah, the reality is, is that everything that is evil and wrong in the world is not on God. It's on mankind. It's on us. It's on us. Everything that is real or that is evil. Okay, the scriptures tell us that, that it is out of the heart of man that all evil, every form and every kind of evil comes from. Anything that is evil in the world comes out of our own humanity. And I know people ask the question, and I know I've said this before, but I'll say this here because I think it's a question that continues to iterate over and over again. Is there many people who will say and ask? They'll say, well, um, well then if God is real, then why would he allow us to make those decisions? And why would he allow those things to happen? Because God is a man of his word. God is a man of his word. The scriptures tell us in Psalms that he places his word above himself. God puts his word above him. When he said, let us make man in our image, in Genesis chapter 1, as in the image of God, he created a male and female, created he them. God said, let them have dominion. He told them have dominion, fill the earth and subdue it. That means, family, that God placing the word above himself said, I will not do anything on this earth without human participation. Meaning, When we wait for God to do something, we don't realize God isn't going to do anything on the earth without humanity. And when we do, when we wait for God to move, what God is actually waiting for uh, for is for us to move because God is not doing anything without human participation. As a matter of fact, to change anything that happens on earth, it requires human participation the destiny of the earth is determined and based off of human participation humans are the agents that fulfill the agenda of god on earth that's why god had to become human in order to save the earth that was the whole purpose of yeshua he had to become human to save the earth because God couldn't just float down here without becoming human. Why? Because he created things this way. So if there's anything evil in the world, evil and everything that is wrong, pain and suffering exists as a result of humanity. When humanity's agenda is something other than the glory of God when humane's agenda is something other than the law of God then it leads to pain and suffering let me help you out here let me help you out because I know some people are asking this question and then we're gonna I'll break down my, my, my thought on this but i I, I felt it' was important for me to to, to 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 make sure I break this down for people because there are people who they when they see God and they pray and they seek for God to move in their lives or they seek for God to do something or they're asking the nature of God and who God is. Often people think of God <clears throat> as this this man who's floating up in heaven and who's who's pulling strings down on earth or this man who's kind of just floating and looking over the earth. And, and so they have this image of God where God is You know, throwing little sprinkles here and there and sprinkles here and there. No. God actually embodies people to fulfill his agenda on earth. That's literally what it means to be made in the image of God. Therefore, humanity is humanity now represents the ambassadors of God on earth. So if God is the authority, he is the law. He that's when we, when we say that God is a righteous judge. He is the law. Okay. Righteousness is justice. Justice is, is determined by the law. Then the law is the system by which the world remains in good order. Okay. So if, if the righteousness of God is the law of God, which keeps the world in order, any other law creates disorder. Ready for this? And this is where people are going to really get uncomfortable. We said every evil thing that comes in this world comes out of the ego. Everything evil in the world comes out of me, myself, and I. Everything evil in the world. Ready? Almost everything evil in the world comes from a good place. Quote, unquote. Almost everything evil in the world comes from something which we would all see as benign. you know, the protection of my family, the protection of my ethnicity, the protection of my race, the celebrating of my gender. Do you see where the problem is here? That's why when you celebrate, when you celebrate a particular people group or demographic, it leads to the isms. When you celebrate a thought process or an ideology, it leads to the isms. And we said Canaanite thinking is ism thinking. Racism came from a good place, family, and yet it is profoundly evil. When we say came from a good place, came from something you would have seen as good or perceived as good, but it wasn't the law of God because the glory of God wasn't what dominated it and moved it. And this is the problem with culture today. When we talk about Canaanite thinking, Canaanite thinking is egocentric thinking. Okay. The problem with the Canaanites was that they were driven by their ego. They were driven by celebrating and worshiping God's creation rather than God himself. So they were submitted to, they were attempting to submit to their own law, but submitting to your own law leads to pain and suffering. Let me, let me help you out. I hope this is helpful and and, and I know this isn't supposed to be a full Bible study. I hope so this may end up being confusing to some, but let me, let me help you out. When we think of the law in the, in the U S we think of it as a legal system. So we think of the law, we think about like rules, but that's not how the law is understood in the scriptures. Remember this is written by ancient Hebrews, ancient Hebrew people, ancient Israelites ancient Israelites. They had a different perception of the law. The law was not seen as rules that if you break it, you go to hell. And if you obey it, you go to heaven. That was not how the law was seen. The law was perceived as a system, as a divine system, a divine order of things. Okay. So when you see the law as a divine order of things, law, the law cannot be broken. Somebody understand that? So it's not breaking the law. The law actually can't be broken. And the analogy that I use, and I'm going to use it over and over again, is the law of gravity. That is a natural, physical law. You see that? It's not a rule, it's a system. And because it's a system, you actually can't break it. You're subject to it. Now, if you try to break it, what will happen? You're going to get hurt. Imagine trying to jump off of a building and disobeying the law of gravity. You actually cannot disobey gravity. But if you choose a law other than the law of gravity, it's going to lead to destruction. Does that help? So it's like the person who gets on top of a building and says, today I'm going to choose my own law. I'm going to choose the law of magnetism and I'm just going to choose to float. You jump off that building, what's going to happen? You're going to fall on your face and you're going to die. You jump off that skyscraper, you're gonna die. It doesn't matter whether you choose it or not. It's a law, it's a system. You don't get to choose the system, okay? So, when you choose your own system, you don't sit there and go, I can't believe gravity did this to me. No, gravity is gravity, okay? What you did was you chose not to use it appropriately. And to obey it, you could choose not to obey it. You're still subject to it. So when we talk about the law, the law embodies and represents the righteousness and the character of God, which represents all that holds the world and the universe together. And so therefore, if you choose another law, it's going to lead to destruction. It doesn't matter whether you obey it or not, you're subject to it. The Canaanites chose their own law. And in the end, they're subject to it. So the law led to. Thank you so much for the gift. The law led to suffering. The law led to pain. The law led to strife. The law led to bloodshed. The law led to everything that we saw that the Canaanite people represented. It was Game of Thrones out there, and we know how Game of Thrones ended. It didn't end well for most people in the mo- in the show. Why? Because there's a law when the law is about self-preservation it's about power and about pleasure and about me and about myself and about my power, my position, my this, my that. It always ends in destruction. Always. Always. And so the Canaanites were serving their own law. And what God said is, let me reinstitute my law. Thank you so much. God said, let me reinstitute my law. And I'm going to reinstitute it through these people. And I'm going to show the world what ruling under my law leads to. Because ruling under the character and the heart of God, being agents of God, will lead to healing, restoration, the presence of God all things. So, so think of it like this, this is Eden being restored again. You see, Adam fell into trying to follow his own law. And so because of Adam, sin came into the world. I'm going to say one more thing and I don't know why, but I'm I'm going to say it because I feel like it's important here. And then afterwards, I'm going to share my thought and I hope you guys see Now, why God took them allowing Canaanite thinking into their their nation of people so seriously, because God had an agenda for these people. There was an agenda. God had a plan with these people. And so these people now, God creating his, His, uh, establishing his covenant with them, he understood, now you're called, I've chosen you, I've chosen you to be the people who would who would show what ruling on earth looks like under my righteousness. And now you guys are over here being influenced by Canaanite gods. You're serving the creation rather than the creator. And we know how that ends. And so, because we know how that ends, this is how it's going to happen to you. Okay. So I have to say this because we talk about Satan. And um, and we understand this that Satan, because we, we see this terminology, the Baals, the, the Baals. Notice, it's not just Baal, it's Baals, and it's plural. These were the many gods that dominated the thinking of the, the Canaanites. Now, the Canaanites represent what we see today. they are principalities that govern our world. Greed, envy, strife, power, money, sex, you name it. We see the same bales among the Canaanites being served and worshiped today. When you are under the law of God. Are you hearing me, family? When you are under the law of God your metric is different. Your measurement is different. Your arguments are different. And I said this yesterday, well maybe not, was it yesterday or the day before when we were talking about judges and the propensity that we have to be influenced by Canaan. Our church today is influenced by Canaan because we justify things based off of our own law based off of the culture, based off of what drives the Canaanites. On the matter of sexuality, we now, we've lost our way because we're wrestling with, well, this is how I feel I am, and this is how I feel, this is how I want to express myself, and so because we see it that way, we've now, ready for this, culture now, attempts to use sexuality as a way to identify a person. So now who or what you're attracted to is somehow a function of who you are. That is Canaanite thinking. And yet we argue this thing, but we, we don't realize that, Hey guys, you know, that we're being driven by the ego here. We're being driven by the ego, you understand that. So when the church, ready for this, denounces people who have sexually aberrant behavior, we immediately identify this, the, the, this sexual behavior to who they are. That's Canaanite thinking. And on the flip side, those who try to justify sexuality whatever sexual expression they have, they try to say, this is who I am. No, it's not who you are. You are not what you're attracted to. That's Canaanite thinking. There's a law and the law of God is about making him the center of things, not us the center of things. And yet even our church today is dominated by that. That's why we have churches that prostrate power on people based off of their Canaanite thinking. So we don't ever really have constructive conversations on things like sexuality, because again, we have another law that we're being driven by. Are you, are you with me there on the issue of power? we see now our church organizations that are more about the politics and more about lobbying with government than they are about being the kingdom of God. There's this temptation for us to serve the gods of this world. We talk about Satan and we don't understand that the Baals are the the, 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 the imagers of of Satan. Satan, the word Satan is opposer. That's why it's called the Satan because Satan isn't just a person, Satan is a system. And that system was embodied in an angel, a fallen angel named Lucifer. Now you're gonna hear something that you may not have heard before but what if I told you that Satan never had power until mankind gave Satan permission? Adam was in the garden. We hear nothing about Satan. It wasn't until Adam submitted to Satan's thinking. What did Satan tempt Adam with? Satan did not tempt Adam. Sorry, Adam and Eve. Satan did not tempt Adam and Eve with the fruit. Satan tempted Adam and Eve with themselves. He said, "He said, you will be like God. And in the moment that Eve saw that she would be like God, then Eve saw that the fruit was desirable. So actually what Eve was being tempted with, was with herself. I'm sorry, I'm ranting y'all. This is a rant. This is a full-blown rant. I. I wasn't going to go into all this, but I felt it was necessary because it's going to lead to my point today. Eve was being tempted with herself. She wasn't being tempted with the fruit. Because that's what Satan does. Satan makes you see yourself as God. And because Satan makes you see yourself as God, remember Satan is a system. Satan, the word Satan literally means opposer of God. What does Satan do? He makes you love yourself more highly and to see yourself more highly than God. So now you're not governed by God, you're governed by yourself, your pleasure, your desire, me, myself, and I, and that is all Satan needs to do. Because if Satan can get you to make yourself the priority of your life, then he can destroy everything in the world. The Canaanites, the Canaanites, the Canaanites. But Gideon says in Judges chapter 8, Gideon says in Judges chapter 8 verse 23, Gideon says to them, I will not rule over you. See, Game of Thrones thinking, I'm going to keep bringing that up because Canaanite thinking was Game of Thrones thinking. Game of Thrones thinking was Who rules over who? Who's in charge of who? (laughs) That's what Game of Thrones thinking is. That is satanic thinking. That is demonic thinking. The type of thinking that seeks power and self-actualization and self-pleasure and self-glory. That's Game of Thrones thinking. Gideon says, that's not my thinking. He says, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. What does Gideon say? He says, the Lord shall rule over you. You want to know why we have a hard time with faith? We have a hard time with faith because we have a hard time with Christ ruling over our lives. We have a hard time with Christ ruling We have a hard time allowing Christ now to determine the destinies of our lives. No, we want to control our own destiny. We want to control our own destiny. We want to be, we want to be in charge. I want to take life in my own hands, take it by the bootstraps and run it. Not realizing that man does what is right in his own eyes. It's Bible now. Man does what is right in his own eyes. And in the end, it leads to his destruction. Hmm. The scriptures tell us that the heart is deceitful above all things. So you want to know what's wrong with the world? It's not the absence of God. It's the rebellion of man. Man wants to do what's right in his own eyes. We saw now, I hope this is giving some insight because this is, uh, I just felt it was critical for me to point this out so you can understand what the Lord is really pointing out to me as I'm reading this text today. Is just like you just read, Gideon, Gideon starts pretty highly here in this text. Gideon, Gideon's doing good. Gideon's doing great. Yeah, he was, he was, you know, he had a lot of trepidation. He didn't want to, he, you know, he didn't feel like he was qualified And yet the Lord continued to give him assurances And he and his 300 They subdued Just hundreds of thousands Of Midianites We saw that yesterday And then and then there are hundreds of them that, Or thousands of them that, that still run off And even though the thousands run off Midian goes and chases him With his 300 I mean this, this man got boldness now He's chasing down thousands with hundreds That's another word for another day Okay. So now he's chasing thousands with hundreds and we see the whole story, by the way, they should just do, they should literally do a, a, a TV series off of judges. I'm talking about, this is, this is so real and so raw. And actually, if you did an accurate TV series of the book of judges, people would say it's not a Christian story. That's just the reality because judges is just, is just, it, it exposes the condition of man, right? But then Gideon gets to this verse that I just read for you and man, what, how, how noble of Gideon. He says, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. Gideon is like, I'm not here to take power. I'm here to give the Lord power. I'm here so that his kingdom can be established. I'm here so that the Lord can rule, not my way, but the Lord's way. only we would have that that posture. If only we weren't about our mindset and our mentality. Gideon, man, he's doing great. And then Gideon takes the earrings from the plunder of the Ishmaelites, the sons of Ishmael, Midian, kings of Midian, and then Gideon made it into an ephod, we know what the ephod was, right? We know ephod was the garment that was set aside for the high priest. And set it up in the city of Ophrah. And all of Israel played the harlot with it there. It became the snare of to Gideon and to his house. Gideon started so high. Gideon was doing good. Gideon was doing good. It's like, Gideon, you're doing great. man. And then Gideon quickly turns over and he adulterates the authority of God. Gideon took the spoils of the Ishmaelites and consecrated an ephod with it. Gideon went from being Israelite to becoming Canaanite. And what he did was, is he took Canaanite spoils. He took Canaanite glory. He took the Canaanite gods, and he then reduces it and makes it a priestly covering. In Judges, chapter eight, verse 27, he took all that the Ishmaelites and the Canaanites celebrated, melted it down and created a priestly garment with it. Did you catch that? Did you? Did you catch that? He took the Canaanite garment. Canaanite idols. And he put it on. And made priestly garments with it. Gideon was doing so good. And now Gideon falls off. Rather than letting the priestly garment cover the Canaanite nation. He allowed the Canaanite nation to cover and make a priestly garment with it. And he worshiped a Canaanite God with a priestly garment. This speaks to the temptation that we have family of and the propensity that we have to take Canaanite thinking and superimpose it onto the body. And in superimposing it onto the body, we become simply Canaan with a little bit of priestly image on top of it. We, we have superimposed Canaan onto the church. You want to know why there's so much pain and suffering today in our church? It's because we took all the idols of Canaan and we repurposed them as the church. You know, I truly believe right now we're in a season where the church needs a rebirth. The church has been sleeping for a minute. Sleeping. There's some people right now who've been hurt by the church. You actually weren't hurt by the church. You were hurt by Canaan. It's just that it was repurposed as the church. It wasn't the church. There's some folks right now who they're just trying to navigate through all of this and wondering, what do I do with with just some of the hurt and the pain and some of the things that I went through um, with religion and with everything that was religion? And I came to say to you, you you were you weren't hurt by the church of Jesus Christ. You were you were hurt by Canaan. Thank you so much for the gift. You were actually hurt by Canaan. It's just that they put a church logo on top of that. They took Canaan and made a church logo with it. They took Canaan and they made and they made church structures with it. They took Canaan and made an institution with it. And yeah, the ch- the church was never an organization. The church was an organism. And yet we took organizations that were driven by money, by power, by politics, by sex, by sexuality. It's crazy that we have churches that are identified by these things. We have churches that are identified by a political ideology. That's this. That's Canaan. We have churches that are identified by what they accept as far as sexuality and things of that nature. We have churches that are identified that way. They're they're a this kind of church. Do you see the problem? And we have churches that are identified by ethnicities. Not seeing themselves as part of a grander picture and a grander narrative. Guys, this is what he did. He took the spoils of Canaan and he made a garment out of it. And what makes this sad, family, is that there was already an ephod, the ephods were already there. The ephods were already there. The ephod, by the way, family, was the garment that the priest wore. It was the very thing that the priest wore to give the priest distinction from everyone else. He took the Canaanite gods and made a priestly garment to serve the Canaanite gods. And I question myself today, who does the church worship? Christians, who do we worship? Are we worshiping Canaanite gods? This is for the person who goes to the church and during election season, they preach a whole sermon about who to elect as president. That's Canaanite church. There are churches that will go on and quote philosophers and use that as a means by which to preach a sermon. That's a Canaanite church. I have a problem with churches that quote, theologians more than they quote the scripture. I have churches that will quote what some prophet said and what some man said more than they quote what the scriptures say. They took Canaan and brought Canaan into the church. Gideon started so well, family. And now here he is worshiping Canaanite gods. Guys, this is the beginning of the demise. We're going to be reading through Judges. And what we're going to see through Judges is it just gets worse and worse and worse. We'll get to Samson at the end and that's it. It's, it's it tells you about how corrosive the Canaanite way of living took over the children of Israel. And in the end, these were people who were never free, could never rule. But oh, that we return back to Judges chapter eight when Gideon says, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. He says, the Lord shall rule over you. May we we serve a Lord who rules us. May we not be ruled by our ego. May we be ruled by the Holy Spirit. Father, we're praying, Lord, that we would submit to your law. Not the law that is written on tablets of stone, but the law that is being written in our hearts. Father, I pray right now for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that would drive us away from the the, Thoughts of this world, the stream of thinking, the, the the cultural philosophy of this world in this time. But Lord, that in this cultural moment that we would be the creative minority, the people who, Lord, are revealing, Lord, your law that never changes, your heart that never changes, one that seeks to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might, one that is driven not by our desires, but Lord, by our submission to you, Father, bless us, Lord, today.